This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Today on the State of Ukraine, reflections from a reporting trip to Ukraine. I'm Greg Dixon in Kyiv. NPR's Brian Mann has seen Ukraine at two very different points in this war. In July 2022, Brian spent a month reporting in the country when the war was only five months old. Now, a year later, Brian has just finished a rotation filling in as NPR's Ukraine correspondent. We talked at our bureau in Kyiv just before he departed, and I asked him what his first impression was when he returned to Ukraine. What has blown me away is the degree to which Ukrainians have figured out a way to run a society where many days, many hours of many days, it feels like you're in a normal country, a functioning country, even though there is an active, bitter, bloody war happening that's occupying 20% of their society and the threat is imminent, missiles are landing, and yet the trains run on time, the grocery stores are, are full. Honestly, Greg, when I arrived here, I expected to see a much more kind of gray, embattled, struggling society, you know, hanging on by its fingernails. And that's not what I see. That's what shocked me is the resilience. Was war more apparent a year ago when you were here than it, than it is now? I, I, think, I think in many ways it, it was. There was a sense of uncertainty and kind of impending chaos that there were times, for example, when there were gas shortages and there were checkpoints everywhere and even deep in the country. And so you really did have the sense that things were, you know, from one day to the next, you didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, you know, I I don't want to overplay this. You know, there are still missiles that land in marketplaces. As we record this just a couple days ago, a, a market near Donetsk was hit by a Russian cruise missile, 17 people killed immediately. And so, again, I, I don't want to over overstate the normalcy of this, but there is more, I think, when I talk to average people, they're getting on with their lives. You know, one of the, one of the things I did early in my visit here was I did a story about the fact that the beaches have reopened in Odessa on the Black Sea. And that seems like a, a kind of a, an odd, maybe trivial thing, but in some ways, these these let's get on with our lives, things that Ukrainians, they talk about it as defiance. We are going to have joy. We are going to get married. I see babies here. And those things seem to me like a way that Ukrainians, they tell me, they say, this is a way that I'm saying to Russia, no, this is our country. We're going to keep living our lives. Um, And, uh, you know, as a journalist and as a storyteller, I find that really remarkable. You mentioned, you know, missiles falling. There are there are air raid sirens in vast portions of the country uh, regularly. Obviously, closer to the front line, war is apparent. But w- when you're away from the front line, like like we are here in Kiev, what are the what are the main signs that this country is still at war? I was at a big cathedral space here in Kiev, the Lavra, yesterday. And uh, just, I went there just for a little break, just wanted to clear my head and looked across and there was a whole group of military veterans who were coming uh, to worship and to have their own moment of peace. 
and uh, many of them missing limbs, many of them in wheelchairs, many of them, you know, being cared for. Uh, a, a few days ago, um, along with our a member of our Ukraine team here, I went to a place on the outskirts of Kiev that's a rehabilitation center, and you know, I saw men severely damaged by this conflict, and um, it's really. You know, the, the toll here is enormous. Men and, and some women dying at the front lines, uh, but also um, terrible harm, you know, physical harm, psychological harm. And so I think that you see that on almost every street as you walk here. You, you know, men rotate back. They come here on leave. They take breaks from the front lines. And, um, you know, you talk to, to wives and you talk to children who've lost loved ones in this war. It is important to keep saying, again, this is a war unlike anything Europe has seen since World War II. It's army to army, trench to trench, and the cost there that you can see all throughout the country, the healing that it's going to take, the sorrow that this society is going to have to work through, you already see that. This is going to be, a, whatever the outcome of this conflict, it's a generational impact on this country. You mentioned that um, there's no obvious shortage in grocery stores. Restaurants are open. That's kind of astounding for a country that no longer has regular flights coming in. Many of its ports are either closed or severely limited. Do you have a sense of how they're accomplishing that? You know, one of the things, Greg, that I'm working on now, and I'm still kind of in the reporting on this, is looking at the macro Ukrainian economy. Like this is something that we Americans have experienced. What happens when your supply chains stop working? What happens when there are shortages and you can't get eggs or the price of eggs double? So first, the good news, which is that Ukrainians have somehow managed to largely MacGyver uh, a country, a modern country, as you say, without air flights, without their biggest ports functioning, and yet you go into a grocery store and there are fresh pastries and there's good soup that you can buy. And, you know, you can get food deliveries here, like Grubhub style food deliveries that are pretty efficient and pretty delicious. So that's all amazing. I think that underneath that, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot, of, there's huge unemployment here. There are a lot of men who have been pulled into the military or men who are simply unemployed, um, Outside of the major cities, one of the things I've learned is that if you get away from Kiev and Odessa um, and other major urban areas, the poverty level skyrockets. Um, and so I think that's pretty significant. The other thing that's really important, and this is increasingly controversial back home, is that this would not be possible without support from the United States. There are billions of dollars pouring in to support the Ukrainian economy to keep the civil service operating. It's not just the military. There are whole aspects of, of the economy here that are basically on life support. And that's going to be interesting to see how long Germany and the United States and other countries are willing to do that. And I think that Ukrainians are very well aware that they need to do as much as they possibly can to have their own economy, their own taxes, their own things working because, you know, the patience of the West to keep writing big, big, big checks to keep all of that going is not going to last forever. As you, uh, as you end your rotation here, any conversations, any people that you met that sort of stick in your mind uh, from your reporting? Yeah, I was uh, in the Kharkiv area where there's a, a really dangerous front where the Russian 
army is actually advancing. You know, most mostly the Russians are on the defensive right now. The Ukrainian army is slowly advancing in a counteroffensive, but up around a, a town called Kupiansk, the Russians are are actually on the offensive there. And one of the things that I encountered there were a lot of really elderly people who were being forced out of their villages, um, forced to enter into this huge refugee uh, and displaced person wave that Russia's invasion has triggered. And, you know, part of what I saw there was just loneliness. You know, these are people, many of them who've never left their villages. They've never left the little, you know, web of community life that existed there. Um, And talking to those folks, I just, I really felt such sorrow for, you know, some of them in their 80s who, you know, they don't have much of a place to go. And um, that's why so many of them stayed there for as long as they did. I don't know, there's something about that chemistry between not just the war and the conflict, but also that very small-scale human experience of loneliness and and a, a sense of uncertainty at that age. Um, it's, it's pretty agonizing. Um, so the resilience of the Ukrainian people is something that I continue to marvel at, um, but every once in a while you catch a glimpse in those conversations of just how much pain is, is, is there. That's NPR's Brian Mann here with me in Kyiv. Brian, thanks so much for your reporting. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. We'll see you again soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR.